You're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we are on the Passo Fedaia. No, al final son 4.000 metros, son pasos importantes sobre más de 1.000 metros y bueno, no, vamos con la confianza. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the level between the, the top three guys is pretty, uh, I don't know, comparable at the moment and uh, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to make a difference, but I think today's the day for it in the final climb. So Brian, this is the mythical spot, Malga Chapela, between the stretch between Malga Chapela and Capanna Bill. Yeah, I'm also starting to get that smell of clutch. And when, you know when, that's, when that starts to happen, the climb is hard. Marco Pantani, la nostra emozione per sé. Big, big homage to Marco Pantani at Malga Chapella itself. I think that refuge is on the right-hand side. We've just seen a lot of fans out, a lot of pink, isn't there? Yeah, and also, it's exactly like I've, I've been reading yeah, most of what you've been writing about this very famous climb it's just straight and you can really see you're staring in directly into the pain you're going to have for the next kilometers there's just no letting go there's no I mean there's a lot of refugio here a lot of places where you can go and, and, and seek shelter but not if you're a professional bike rider not on this climb this is more or less the exact spot where Pavel Tonkov's dreams were shattered my dreams were shattered in 1998 so I'm just going to observe a moment, not a minute's silence, but I'm going to observe a, a moment's silence, a moment of mourning for that regrettable episode. Tonkov had definitely gone at this point, but Brian, imagine, let's fast forward a couple of hours, you're here, you're Richard Carapaz, um, what, what are you thinking at this point? Four or five kilometers to go. The hardest part of the climb is well, it's almost behind you, but it's now or never, isn't it? Yeah, this is where the Giro most likely will be decided. Out of three and a half hours, this small stretch. I mean, it, it serves the Giro well, doesn't it? If the the distance between the favourites has been so small, if you're just a tiny bit better than your competitors here, you can open up a significant gap. If you if you're on a bit of a so-so day we're talking minutes this is really what it should all be about I really hope the riders give them what they're hoping for today. Even the best have made it here. Hoppa! Gianni, it, 36 kilometers to go in the mountains of this Giro d'Italia. Only one climb left in this Giro. The Fedaia, the Marmolada. One name, Nome Seco, Carapaz, Hindley, Landa. I think Carapaz, but uh, not uh, sure 100% because uh, they are uh, three riders uh, strong in a good condition. And uh, I think that uh, the three. Giro, 30, oh, 31 kilometers to go now. We've just had Gianni Savio's prediction. He says Carapaz, who do you say? Uh, I agree with him, with Gianni Savio and also with Bradley Wiggins. Because already yesterday, after the finish line, I uh, asked to Brad what, which was his favorite. He said Carapaz. Uh, for me, just uh, till two days ago, was Indley. But yesterday, Carapaz gave me a better impression, so I say Carapaz. Are you tense? Are you excited? Are you nervous? No, uh, no. Uh, this uh, no, no one of this uh, sensation are in my heart uh, when uh, I follow cycling. No, not at all. 
No, no, not really, because I'm not really involved. Uh, as I already told you once, uh, dear Daniel, my body is here, my, my head is not here. <laughs> que podría ser definitiva en la lucha por el Giro de Italia probablemente mañana la Maglia Rosa la Luzca, el ciclista del Bora y el segundo lugar será para Richard Carapaz que en todo caso volverá a ser podio en una grande, tampoco es menos ¿eh? tampoco es pelo de cochino hacer podio en una grande, claro nosotros tenemos la ilusión de que le gane la sensación de que la Maglia Rosa se vaya al Ecuador y esto se está complicando So there he is, the new leader of the race. He really made that happen for himself, didn't he? I, did, I didn't see it coming. I mean, Brian, you've been telling me that, the, that this Giro has been full of suspense. I joked to you when we were watching the final few kilometers, the suspense was starting to kill me because it was getting a bit too much. And then we saw this fantastical, this fantastical, I'm, I'm lost for words, fantastic tactical move by Bora. Yeah, I think the move went, when Lena Kemna there, was a touch of genius. It made a big difference, but the way Hindi, he completely dismantled Carapace within the hardest kilometer. There's a reason why it's called the graveyard of champions. And Carapace is obviously still a, obviously still a champion, but the owner of this Giro, the winner is Jai Hindi. That was some feat. That was really, really a big stage. And we've talked, Brian, a lot about the 1998 Giro and Pantani versus Tonkov up here. And we, we also mentioned the fact earlier that Alex Zula was in the pink jersey on this climb that day and he lost a lot of time and he cracked in a similar fashion to the way Richard Carapaz cracked. I, I've rarely seen Carapaz crack, certainly when he's been in contention in Grand Tours, and I must admit, I did not expect that. No, I don't think anyone did, but we've had this the element of doubt and maybe that's where the suspense was really buried because you couldn't really tell what was going to happen. Usually it's Carapaz that has this surgical precision when he makes these very hard attacks. He finds those weaknesses in his competitors. But he's looked worried the last days, Carapaz, hasn't he? He's, he probably knew that he, you know, better than anyone else, that he wasn't probably the strongest rider here. He had to be really smart about it. He didn't have a buffer. Even if it stayed together today for the, before the time trial, I think Hindley, he just... He just knew somehow he's been so cool, he's been so calm and collected throughout this race. And Brian, I think we can finally say, we can definitely say, I mean, I've been saying it all along, this has been a, an incredible Giro. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. Finally. Well, Brian, where are we now? Well, Daniel, we're in a small bar called, Brian. It's called Bar Evita. Evita. And we're surrounded by pictures of Evita Peron, aren't we? You're surrounded um, by and Hardy as far as just below us here. Unfortunately, the Latin Americans, well, they'll not be celebrating tonight, will they? Because Richard Carapaz, well, has he lost the Giro? Is the Giro over? We heard there a bit of a potted history of today, but now we've, well, we've retired to our recording studio for this evening. We can, we can sort of digest everything that's happened today. Look at the time gaps. Carapaz, one minute, 25 down on Jai Hindley. Is it over, Brian? The race is not over, but Carapaz's dreams of winning the Giro... They, they are dead and gone. The fat lady's already singing in the arena in Verona. Is she already warming up at least? Warming up her vocal cords? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the three tenors that would usually be there, will be there will be one on on the top of the stage. It's not over, but it's, it's pretty clear that Jai Hindley has won this year's Giro d'Italia. Well, Brian, I wouldn't go that far. One minute, 25 down. I, I know it's only 17 just over 17 kilometers and I know there is a climb in that uh, course tomorrow as well the Torricelli climb Are you saying there's still suspense? I think there is suspense as I said in the opening to tonight's episode I really was finding the suspense lethal <laughs> at one point today and I think everyone was we were surrounded by a lot of people the soigneurs um, journalists and Everyone was sort of looking at each other, yawning, wondering when this thing was going to finally kick off. And it really did kick off in the way and in the place that we wanted it to happen. We called it yesterday. We christened it the Graveyard of Champions. It was the graveyard of a few hopes today, wasn't it? And certainly Richard Carapaz's hope, but also Mikhail Lander's. And we were right there on the finish line. And what often happens, you know, there's, a, there's this tent where the media will congregate next to where the swanyers sit and wait for the riders to come in to give them jackets, dry clothing. And... It, it starts with silence, doesn't it? And then you see Carapaz just losing that one meter and looks like nothing, but it grows and grows until you can see he's in trouble. And then people start to like, 
it gets very, very tense in that little tent, doesn't it? And there was a certain amount of skepticism about, well, in the air, when he and Leonard Kemner got together, because we've seen these moves before, and, you know, often, very often they don't work. In fact, we saw one payoff spectacularly in the 2016 Giro on the penultimate stage to Santana di Vinadio, and it kind of won Vincenzo Nibali, the Giro d'Italia, that year. But they came together, and very often it's a sort of, but it's almost a formality of the guy who's been in the break for a long time, just doing a few pulls, and then the much stronger man, his team leader, comes around, and it's questionable whether it's actually made any difference. Today, it really didn't make a difference, because as soon as they got together, Kemner and Hindley, we sensed, and we, we spotted that Carapaz was just struggling a little bit to hold Hindley's wheel. His front wheel was, was sort of wavering a little bit, and it wasn't too much longer later before the coup de grace was landed by... Jai Hindley, but Brian, I guess it's time to go to not Watford, a very long way from the Dolomites in Canadze, for the tale of the Tapa. Take it away, Lionel. To say stage 20 from Belluno to Marmalada was a slow burn is an understatement, because for so, so long, it looked like nothing was going to happen. And then all of a sudden, everything happened. Richard Calapaz, wearing the pink jersey, cracked sensationally on the final climb, and Jai Hindley stretched away, first bridging up to his teammate Leonard Kemner, who'd been in the day's 15-man break, and then pressing on alone to gain 1 minute 28 seconds and take the pink jersey at the top of the marmalada. With tomorrow's 17.4km time trial in Verona to come, it looks like Hindley will become Australia's first Giro d'Italia champion, and Bora Hansgrohe's first Grand Tour winner. He will have a lead of 1 minute 25 seconds over Carapaz to defend, Remember two years ago, Hindley went into the final time trial in pink, but tied on time with Theo Gagan Hart, and he lost out to the better time trialist in Milan on that occasion. On paper, Carapaz is better against the clock too, with a 7-1 head-to-head record in time trials. But the deficit is significant. Carapaz would need to make up more than 5 seconds per kilometre to catch Hindley, which looks to be out of his reach. What about the stage then? Well, there was that break of 15 riders, which included Andrea Vendrami of AG2R after yesterday's disappointment at the finish. Matthew van der Poel was up the road again. Domin Novak of Bahrain Victorious was in there. Kemner of Bora Hansgrohe, as I mentioned. A couple of riders from Jumbo Visma, Hayes Lamerazer and Sam Uman. Antonio Pedrello of Movistar was in there. A couple of quick steps. Timon Aronsman of DSM. Giulio Ciccone of Trek, and two riders from UAE Team Emirates, Alessandro Covey and Davide Formolo. And it was Covey who broke clear on the Paso Pordoi and went over the top first to claim the Chima Coppi prize. That's the prize for the rider who goes over the highest point of the Giro in first place. Behind, a group of the best climbers from that escape, Novak, Kemner, Pedrero, Annansman, Ciccone and Formolo. But Covey was committed and quickly built a lead of more than two minutes heading towards the Marmalada. On the final climb, he was looking good, but Novak set off in pursuit and did close the gap right down, but couldn't get on terms. So Covey, who looks to be a key figure in the future of Italian cycling, took his first Grand Tour stage win. Novak was second, Ciccone third, Pedrero fourth, Allensman fifth, and then came Jai Hindley at 2 minutes 30. And after that, the clock ticked and ticked and ticked until Richard Calapaz crossed the line 3 minutes 58 down. What about the GC race then? Well, it was almost non-existent for most of the day. Bora Hansgrohe took a back seat and then on the final climb, Bahrain Victorious did ride on the front, but it was more a case of Bahrain cautious and perhaps Lander's inability to react when Hindley accelerated explains why they weren't setting such a hard pace. Ineos Grenadiers did look to have things under control and looked to be setting up Carapaz for an attack of his own, but it didn't materialise and Carapaz couldn't get on terms when Hindley made his move. So, as I say, the gap is now 1 minute 25 between Hindley and Carapaz. Lander is third at 1 minute 51. His place on the podium looks pretty much secure because Vincenzo Nibali is in fourth at 7 minutes 57. Then comes Bilbao, Hurt, Bookman, Pozzavivo, Lopez and Carthy. That's the top 10. There might be a little bit of moving and shaking in the time trial tomorrow, but the pink jersey looks pretty secure, barring disasters on the shoulders of Jai Hindley. Before I hand back to Daniel and Brian in Italy, don't forget to vote for the Giro d'Italia Pedaler de Charme. The winner will receive a beautiful Stacey Snyder Cup. 
there's well about 12 hours left to vote i think maybe a bit more than that we've sifted through a mountain of nominations and the shortlist is as follows Binium Gamay, Roman Bardet, Dries de Bont and Matthew van der Poel. So go to our Twitter page, cycling underscore podcast, to vote for your favourite. We'll announce the winner in tomorrow's final duo podcast. Still gassing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens for sponsoring the Cycling Podcast. I've been using the Super Sapiens system for a few weeks again, and since I got back from the Giro, I've been back on my bike and I've been tweaking my pre ride fueling regime. Not just changing the types of food that I eat before exercising, but critically changing the gap between my last meal and the time that I start exercising just to see how it impacts on my blood glucose levels and I'm going to get that data analyzed by an expert if you'd like to find out more about super sapiens go to supersapiens.com well Brian the dust is slowly settling on what will be I suppose remembered as a an epic Giro stage an epic setting grandiose setting of dolomite passes we're down here in Canadze or just beyond Canadze on the other side. We're surrounded by cyclists who have also been riding up the passes today. And it really felt like a sort of a throwback Giro stage, huge crowds. We experienced well, some of the, the sort of fervor that was being whipped up earlier in the day, didn't we, as we drove our car up to the Paso Fedaya. Of course, Alessandro Covi was the stage winner. We didn't mention him in the opening to the episode this evening, but a very impressive victory, very well timed, very well judged, a very talented rider, 23 years old, um, from Varese, uh, a very likable character as well. He is more commonly associated with smaller climbs, punchier climbs. Um, he won a stage of the uh, Ruta del Sol or Vuelta Andalusia on a sort of cobble climb earlier this year. There's actually a cobble climb near his home in a place called Taino, which has sort of been rechristened the Tainoberg or the Tainenberg after the very famous climb of a very similar name in Belgium which itself had been or was rechristened the Bornenberg because Tom Bonen always used to attack there but Kovi is a real shining light or a real shooting star of Italian cycling but unfortunately for him his victory today will be overshadowed by the wider storyline. and I think it, it deserves mention also that his descending from Paso Bodoi was a it was a masterclass. If anyone wants to see how you can, comp- I would say absolutely perfectly, maneuver a pretty difficult descendant. And he needed every single gap that he could keep alive to do what he did today. That was super impressive uphill, but that descent from Podoy was really one to remember. One thing I would say about Dolomite descents is if you are a good descender and you're someone who enjoys sort of pushing the envelope on descents, Dolomites are generally great for that because you don't tend to, there are exceptions, but you don't tend to get big dangerous drop-offs in the same way that you do the Alps. And this comes, this is to do with also the the sort of uh, the the form and the the shape of the mountains and the mountain roads that we talked about the other day. You tend to get this huge kind of rock face, which is the top of the mountain, almost the the cap, the hat of the mountain. And then the, the sort of sides that the roads are built on tend to be quite kind of mossy and green and grassy. And um, they also need to cater to a different kind of traffic because a lot of these places yeah. are ski resorts. Big vehicles need to come up here during the winter as well. Yeah. But Brian, I said that well, Kovi's victory was definitely the, the second most important thing that happened today in the Giro d'Italia. Of course, this morning it was all about the, well, we called it the Dolomite dance-off between Landa, Hindley and Carapaz. And, well, we weren't disappointed. We talked earlier on, didn't we, about Bora's tactical masterstroke, but Carapaz himself, I mean, just... Well, just describe for the listeners, first of all, the scene that we witnessed after the finish. We did see both Mikel Lander and Richard Carapaz a few minutes apart, actually, but the, the vanquished two. And it was a moment of kind of great pathos, wasn't it, after three weeks when these riders have been impossible to separate. Yeah, 
I had the feeling you, you didn't really have the time to digest what had happened in such a small space of time, looking back into the past weeks and then this turn of events in such a dramatic stage and at the very end of a dramatic stage as well. But I, I can't say I enjoy, I enjoy it because I also sympathize with the people who lose and who, who see their dreams fall apart. But there was a lot to be said by the looks of the riders, especially the Ineos riders who crossed the finish line today. It was a big loss for them that Richie Port was not here today, and it was an interesting sort of tactic uh, battle between Bora, between Bahrain Victorious and Team Ineos to see how they could all try and make the stage harder and put themselves in the best possible position. But one thing that I really paid attention to today after the finish line was you know, there's always fatigue, but the way that Pavel Sivakov looked after the stage, he was a broken man. And that says a lot about what a fantastic teammate he is because he potentially looked even, yeah, he probably looked even more devastated than Carapaz. Carapaz has a real poker face. He's looked a bit worried, I think, the last days, and it, today it showed it was for a reason. But Sivakov, he took that defeat in with every single fiber of his face. Yeah, and we could see, couldn't we, uh, riding up La Marmolada, riding up Paso Fidaya, you, you felt that he was ready to pull off about a kilometer before he actually did pull off. He was really, really gritting his teeth and really digging in to just eke out those extra few watts, those extra few pedal strokes for Carapaz, and he really gave everything fully committed. But, you know, it's a moment, it's a photograph, a snapshot, Brian, that will definitely remain ingrained in my memory, so sort of burned into my memory not least because it was quite an unusual setting there's a there's a tunnel just beyond the summit of the Paso Fidaya and that was where the riders um they had sort of came to they came to rest most of them Landa slumped on the sort of wall of the tunnel I mean Landa there's a sort of pathos about Landa's whole persona and his whole career these you know there have been uh, several hard luck stories and in spite of that well, he, he, has has a, he has the face of a renaissance painting, yes, doesn't he? Yes, does. he? he does. And he has this huge cult following, partly because of that. It's, it's quite similar to the, 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 the sort of adulation that's reserved for Thibaut Pino as well. Well, half the cycling world has been waiting for him to pull the sword out of the stone for such <laughs> yes, a long time. Yes. And, and it extended as well to Landa's teammates because Bahrain, Victoria, I mean, they can't be accused of not committing and not giving it everything today. They were the team that took it on, not Bora Hansgrohe. Bora Hansgrohe actually kept quite a low profile, basically because Bahrain did the work for them on the last two climbs, the Pordoi and the Fedaya. And what we discovered after the finish, the original plan had, be, had been for Landa to go for the stage win today. It didn't work out that way, partly because of what happened early on, very early on, in the first 50 kilometers of the stage. But among, among the teammates that did congregate around Landa and tried to console him, this evening were Peo Bilbao, his compatriot, his Spanish compatriot and fellow Basque who has done invaluable work for, for Lander throughout this year. But also Doman Novak who himself up the road today came very, very close to what would have been a bit of a career defining victory for him. And at one stage it looked like he was going to catch Kobe. I spoke to both Peo Bilbao and Doman Novak just moments after that scene we described of Mikhail Lander sitting on the tarmac, uh, looking a little bit demoralised and being consoled by his teammates. Uh, Peo, I guess the way you guys rode today, you thought that Mikel was feeling good and you were going for the stage win. Yeah, we, we wanted to win today with Mikel, as we did last year with Damiano. We wanted to finish the Giro in the best way, but uh, during the stage we noticed that it was going to be too, too difficult to to close the gap with the with the front group. Also, Mikel was not feeling 100%. Uh, maybe in the peloton was nobody feeling super, no? We've seen also Karapath, how he suffered after controlling all the race. And yeah, we, in the end, we, we were thinking that Domen was the best option. Uh, I will really like to see him win, no? I think he deserves more than nobody else because never looks for him but uh, okay for sure he will have a great victory because he showed incredible legs Dorman was crying at the finish he was very upset um, but did you see Carapaz and Hindley and did you suspect maybe that Carapaz wasn't feeling great and that Hindley was feeling good no we haven't seen nothing no we were all day riding in the front 
I was just worried about Mika's legs and uh, I was not thinking how we're feeling the rest of the riders. I guess that nobody was uh, feeling good because also between us we were speaking in the radio and everybody was commenting that uh, I don't have the legs, I don't have the legs, I don't feel 100%. But anyway, we tried to make a good pace until the end, control the race and try the best uh, with Miguel in the end. It was difficult. I thinking to my son and I try my best, but it's not enough. Will your son have been watching the race? Are you, are your yeah. family back home? No, today uh, was in the start. He's seven months old, but I try my best for him. I can see you. you're upset. Uh, I mean, were you already sort of visualizing winning, you know, thinking about overtaking Kobe and, and coming to the line first? Yeah. I, I go very good pace, 2K to go. Then I was a little bit too much. I take a little bit less, but then I go last one and a half K full gas, but not be not enough. And, and the idea this morning, Doman, was you go in the break and then maybe have a chance of a stage win, maybe also be able to help Mikel if necessary. Uh, yeah, we have plan to to pull all day to to we uh, plan to win stage with Mikel. But then a situation in the first uh, small climb was big breakaway and I was in the front. And then we go to the finish line like this. I think it's interesting how the perspective of the helpers, who are a huge part of either a success or trying to turn a situation around, and they often have it, you know, they see the race from afar because often they peel off before the favorites take off and, and, and battle each other for the win. But they usually have an interesting perspective because they see a lot inside the bike race that most, you know, as a TV spectator, you certainly don't and potentially not even a sports director because their eyes are, are everywhere, both on their competitors and their captains. Yes, Brian, and Ineos is an interesting team, isn't it? Because it's, it's uh, got a real range of what nationality. It's got a real range and, and a spectrum of experience. We saw Ben Tulo today ride fantastically. I mean, he was he was there on the front of the peloton, halfway up the Marmolada, halfway up the Fedaya, which for a guy riding his first Grand Tour is quite something. And he also started his first Grand Tour superbly with the time trial in Budapest. But... At the other end of the age spectrum, you've got someone like Ben Swift, who was also kind of surpassing himself today. The way he was riding on the climbs, he was, well, there were only 20 or 30 riders left at one point on the, at the bottom of the Marmolada, and he was among them. He's a rider who's, you know, more generally, more widely associated with his sprinting ability than his climbing. But I suspect that the way those riders will react to this disappointment will also be quite different, because Ben Tulip will be satisfied, and he will be maybe quite euphoric in some ways at, at how his first Grand Tour has gone and how he rode today and for someone like Ben Swift it might be a case of, of sort of thinking that this opportunity opportunities like today to be part of a winning team at the Giro d'Italia won't present themselves that many more times I did speak to Ben Swift as he came in after the finish this evening yeah yeah no I mean obviously Joe was just feeling super you know it's uh, it's been a great three weeks you know, I've enjoyed it a lot. It's been You've uh, done a lot of work. Done a lot of work, and definitely need a bit of a break. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, it was uh, it's quite interesting that it came down to the final climb. You know, it's been a, a good Giro, and what can you say apart from chapeau to Jai? It's been a bit of a strange Giro. You know, it's like a lot of the finishes have not really been hilltop finishes. We've had a lot of the plateaus at the end. So today was the. It was just a straight shootout, so mano a mano, I guess, and that was it. Okay, we, we're here to win. We wanted to win, uh, but what, what can you do? You just came up against a, a stronger guy on the day, and that was it. It's still an achievement to be on the podium, and uh, we still rode well. We can be proud how we've rode. The Bahrain guys were saying to each other, they were all tired today. They were yeah. all struggling, but it doesn't sound as though that was the case among you guys. You looked good, and you felt good, you said. Yeah, I mean, we felt good. Obviously, it's just... I was kind of limited with what I could do. There was, like yesterday, Bora kind of did my job for me, and then today, Bahrain did my job for me. So basically, I was just kind of hanging hanging on, really. And what can you do? I was just trying to get bottles, just trying to support and stuff like that. You know, it's uh, 
nothing much else I could do. I was struggling at the top of the, was it, the Podoy, Podoy. I made it over that, but what can you do? Were you quite surprised when you heard what had happened that Jai had managed to drop Richard? Well, I was trying to listen in the radio, trying to work out what was happening and going off, and whilst I was trying to struggle up this climb, you know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I was trying to look at the TVs whenever I could and stuff, but, yeah, disappointed, obviously, but chapeau to Jai. Well, Brian, the bottom line is that the gap, the deficit now, is 1.25. As already stated, as you've already argued quite forcefully, you think it's over. You think it's impossible to regain 1.25. I mean, I suppose the caveat to that that you would, you would include would be that a mechanical or some kind of issue could cost you that. Yeah, but I also, I mean, you can never really, you never really know about those things, but taking... Starting with what we do know, and also I remember the conversation you had with Jai Hindley's coach. They were very confident about the time trial, and that was even before he, he did what he did today. So I think they know that he's extremely prepared, probably more prepared. And why did he mention it himself yesterday? Because he was wondering how, how good he would be potentially on that time trial if he were to make up time to Carapaz or potentially even Landa. But he's in a different position now. He's leading the race. He's starting as the last one. Uh, at the arena tomorrow so he'll have every all the knowledge all the insight that he needs uh, about his own performance compared to his competitors so I, I don't foresee any changes there there is a, a sort of interesting precedent in terms of for looking ahead to the Verona time trial because of course there was a time trial started in Verona finished in Verona in 2019 the Giro that Richard Carapaz won it was, as far as I can tell, it was exactly the same course. 17 kilometers with the Torricelle climb. I think the, it, they, they've taken it from the, the various world championships that have had there in, in 99 and 04. And, Brian, that going into that time trial, Richard Carapaz had a 1 minute 55 second advantage over Vincenzo Nibali. And he lost 50 seconds to Nibali in that time trial. Which just shows that, you know, on paper, Nibali, you would say, is a superior time trial. has always been a superior time trial to Carapaz. But that's quite a significant chunk of time. Um, and, and Nibali's not a specialist. So we could see riders. You know, if, if a rider has a terrible day, of course, you know, it's natural to think that well, Carapaz showed today that he's more tired than Hindley. He's suffered more than Hindley. He's not in, a, in, in as good a form as Hindley is. And therefore, he will underperform compared to Hindley but it's not an exact science and I would suggest that well the suspense that you've talked about so much over the last few days is still alive Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton cycling podcast team car at the back of the pack please everyone has an opinion on their favourite kit in the world tour um, jersey design is one of the most divisive subjects that you can bring up when it comes to talking about cycling it seems uh, people have very strong opinions one way or the other about some of the jerseys but it's interesting to find out from jared smith one of the co-founders of our clothing partners map what's his favorite kit in the world tour so when we sat down with him in catania at the start of the giro i asked him that very question I do like the Astana team team kit just because um, I have liked them since day one because when they started they were quite bright. They were one of the, you know, but they felt like they were one of the first teams to sort of look a bit like the 80s or the 90s again. Lord Jumbo purely just because I'm really into that team. <laughs> Alperson's always pretty cool. They're always sort of keeping it youthful and trying something new. EF Cycling obviously with the rapper guys like they're always. Um, trying something new, a bit more fashionable. So, yeah, appreciate what they do as well, obviously. I suppose it's a bit biased. I'd love to put our kit out there. And um, we, we have sponsored Trinity Cycling Team in the past. And I think that's showcased a little bit of what we could do. And I think we'd love to bring a bit of that to the, the Pro Tour. But, um, yeah, I would have to say um, my favourite at the moment is Astana. Well, Brian, it's time to talk about Jai Hindley and... Well, one thing I would say immediately is earlier in the Giro, I think during one of our press conferences, we got a question about Theo Gegenhardt's Giro in 2020. And the question sort of suggested that we'd not given Theo Gegenhardt as much credit as he deserved. And I said in response to that, I thought we had. And I thought that Jai Hindley might be in the process in this 2022 Giro d'Italia of legitimising even further Theo Gegenhardt's 2020 victory. Because... 
you know, Hindley and Toe Gegenhardt were very close that year, and um, and everything we heard afterwards suggested that the level, the level of the respective performances that year was very, very high, and. Carapaz is, is he's on the outer fringes of the sort of Galacticos of of um, three week races in cycling at the moment, and that says a lot when you think about the results he's he's done already. Yeah, I mean he's I don't think many people would put him far behind Egan Bernal. I mean we've got sort of Pogacar, who most people would agree is number one and then Roglic maybe slightly behind him. Then comes Bernal and I think Carapaz is almost until this year had maybe occupied a, a position. You, I'm sorry, why do you put Roglic ahead of he's Bernal? Won, he's won three consecutive Vuelta Españas. Yeah, but Bernal's no, won I, the two on the Giro. Yeah. Okay. If, uh, well, no, no, no. Would you uh, trade that for those if you were a bike rider? Yes, I would. I would. Okay, so I would say the top bracket consists of three riders, the very top bracket, and then I, I would say that prior to this Giro, Carapaz almost occupied a position on his own in, in fourth place, and I think that by taking his scalp in a Giro in which Carapaz has not had that we know about anyway, he's not had any significant problems. He's had a strong team. He's, um, I think, he's been fairly satisfied with his own performance. Jai Hindley could be in the process of establishing him himself at the well, very much at the top table of stage racing of three week stage racing. Yeah, when you at twenty six, you finish second and and first in the Giro. The, the important steps are ahead of him, and the experience he has already. And when he was second in the Giro, he didn't really have a lot of results to back up any any specific hope that he would finish up so well. But now he's in a very different position when he wins, if he wins. But the experience and how well he's he's been riding and I think everything he's done in this year has been really intelligent as well. Yeah, and I thought Bora were impressive today in the in how patient they were. Um, we don't know exactly what their plan was this morning. And, well, this has been a sort of three-way tussle between three different teams. And there have been some days, I think as we heard from Ben Swift earlier, when whichever team has taken the initiative first has, has effectively rested wrestled control of the race away from the other two and whatever plans they had um, were sort of subordinated to what was going on in the race and what the other the other team was doing at that particular time and I think Bora today they may well have decided that they were going to take the race on but then when Bahrain did they had to they had to change strategy and use Bahrain effectively and that's what they did and they were very smart and and Kemner has been a really interesting sort of well, almost a, a bit of a loose cannon um, for Bora in this Giro d'Italia because it's, it's appeared as though he's had an awful lot of freedom. And actually, this was something they said at the start of the season, that he would go to the Giro, but he wouldn't be part of this sort of three-man, this troika of leaders, any, any one of whom could potentially win the Giro or finish on the podium with the Giro. And they were Hindley, Kelderman and Buchmann. And it was, it was noticeable that Kemner was left out of that equation and he was going to be able to do his own thing. And sure enough, he won the stage to Etna. And we've seen a couple of other times in the stage to Konya. He went down the road and we wondered, was that to possibly provide support for Hindley later in the stage? And we were told, no, that wasn't the case. And then today, sure enough, things kicked off again early in the stage and off went Leonard Kemner. And again, we wondered there whether that was to try to gain another stage win or was he there as a satellite rider for Hindley to latch on to later as it turned out, it was the latter, and it worked absolutely perfectly. Bora have been pretty impressive all round. Um, one of our audio diarists, Ben Zvihoff, I said yesterday, has been growing in this Giro d'Italia, and his work on the on the climbing stages has become more and more impressive as the days have gone by. He was absolutely thrilled, Brian. You saw him as well when he came over the line. Um, he's a guy who has no real personal ambitions at the moment. He may do later on in his career, but he was quite emotional and euphoric when we spoke to him after the finish. Well, Ben, tell me what the last few minutes have been like, first of all, because I guess you've been to see your teammate, Joyce. It's unbelievable. I had it in the radio on the on the last climb, and I I had goosebumps, uh, and I was was a little bit crying also because we tried we tried so hard this this week, and for sure it's not over. The TT tomorrow will will be also pretty hard, so uh, we have to stay focused. But um, I think today we showed what we are capable of, and um, I think this is uh, the payoff uh, of this team spirit what we had the whole three weeks this is unbelievable so it was a perfect tactical plan in the end and Lenny came back and he he 
sort of led Jai out for a few hundred meters, and that was when Carapaz dropped. But was that the plan this morning in the bus? Um, I think we, we were a little bit uh, flexible today because we, we didn't know how the, the beginning of the race would develop. Um, it was quite a super hard start <coughs> with also uh, some splits. And we were, we were only with five guys uh, in the first group. And yeah, and then uh, Lenny, I, I think, decided on his own to go for this breakaway. And in the end, it was the perfect decision. There you see that he's such a smart rider and uh, yeah, also uh, unbelievable to see uh, his team spirit that he could also probably go for the win here. And, but um, waiting and pulling, and this is, this is how, it's, how it's done in the end. Huh? I guess you were observing Jai in the hotel last night, this morning. Did he, <laughs> did he look like a guy who was about to do something special? <laughs> he's, he's always in a good mood he's always smiling and um, for me it was unbelievable uh, I mean he had so much pressure on his shoulders and he stayed totally totally uh, fine the whole whole three weeks and I couldn't couldn't uh, feel his pressure ex actually and um, with his attitude he also gave us a lot of confidence everybody because um, nobody had the feeling ah we, we have something to lose we only can win And this is, I think, uh, what, what made the difference today. And to do it on a mountain like this, the Marmolada, I mean, I guess you enjoyed some of the crowds as well. I mean, it must, be, must have been fantastic. Yeah, I mean, if you compare it, three years ago, I was still riding on the mountain bike and uh, watching all this shit in the, in the, in the television. And today, uh, <coughs> yeah, with the information that Jai, Jai put the hammer down uh, to ride this last two ki kilometer was... I couldn't believe it actually. It was so nice and uh, yeah, I, I was just smiling the whole time. One thing I thought about today when I saw how the teams took their part in creating this stage and making it a hard, really hard stage, that they, it seemed to me like they also went into this as a stab in the dark. Because when you saw how aggressively Barai and Merida were riding and how much control they decided to take, you, you would have thought that Lander was on a good day. But you, with Lander, you never really know, and, and probably they don't know either. Well, we heard from Pere Bilbao, didn't we, that they were all saying to each other, he didn't specify whether Lander was one of the riders who um, was saying this on the radio, but they were all saying, we're really tired today, and we don't feel particularly good. But the plan was to go for the stage win with Mikel Lander. Which I have a lot of respect for, because they, were, they threw everything at it to see if it was at all possible, and I like that, I like that approach. But I think it was there was sort of it was between, behind the veil of ignorance that everyone was trying to place every piece of the puzzle for their potential tactics without actually knowing how well the other uh, riders were going. But there was one thing that they agreed on that the the final climb up to Marmolada was was to be ridden as hard as possible. You even saw that when the other teams disappeared from the front, Ineos really took uh, responsibility. But they, they didn't know how well Hindley was riding and they, they obviously didn't know how well Lander was or wasn't. And I think that's sometimes the beauty of cycling also, mm -hmm. that there is this, you know, you can, have, you can have obviously have any kind of tactics, but you never really know how the other guys are, are going. And they, they, you couldn't say they underestimated Hindley, mm -hmm. but they, they didn't know how, how well he was going and he was the strongest man. Yeah, I should say that I've had a few conversations with people over the last few days, some of them sort of off the record. One of them was with... Matt Winston at DSM yesterday, Hindley's former director of sport TV, and he said yesterday, I think Jai's going to win. Um, just based on everything he'd observed and the way that Hindley has developed since joining Bora Hansgrohe um, over the last few years. The other thing that was noticeable to me at the finish, Brian, and also speaking to a few riders both this morning and after the finish today, is just how tired everyone is. And we say this at the end of every Grand Tour, and we say every year that the Grand Tours are getting faster and more brutal and more keenly, more intensively um, raced. But I, I do think that that explains a lot of what we've referred to as a deadlock, a stalemate in this Giro d'Italia. There's been a bit of a grousing, there's been some grumbling, including from me. There's been a bit of polemica, a bit of controversy on social media over the last couple of days. Uh, Jacopo Guarnieri was, he was upset with the suggestion from journalists that it had been a boring race. I mean, I would say that The, the, the Giro that Jacopo Guarnieri is riding is a completely different entity from the Giro that is being consumed as an entertainment product by spectators on television. They're two entirely different 
um, sort of bifurcated entities, aren't they? Completely. There was one journalist in particular who was upset at Quarnieri being upset with the journalist uh, Cristiano Gatti of uh, Tutobici Web, and those two have sort of become embroiled in a little bit of a, I'm not going to say a slanging match, but a, uh, certainly a, a difference of opinions, a pronounced difference of opinions um, conducted. This has been conducted, this debate, mainly over social media, but also through Gatti's column in the last couple of days. But, Brian, I mean, I know all along you've thought that we would be rewarded in the end for this long waiting game that we've had to play um, as we've watched this Giro d'Italia. But we could really see very clearly when the riders came over the line today and also on that final climb, the Marmolada, um, just what uh, a toll these last three, ta- three weeks have taken. It's been a long race. It's been a very hard one too, but as Whitey said this, that as well yesterday when he came to visit us when we were recording, it's been a warm Giro. And it's been a Giro that's, I think, because of the stalemate, that doesn't mean it's been an easier race for the GC teams to ride because they... They've had to be on their toes on all, basically on all stages. That's modern cycling. We probably thought there would have been more action on some of the stages. We, uh, we can draw our conclusions tomorrow. But I'm happy that Carapaz didn't seal the, sign the deal or, or, or finish the job yesterday because then we wouldn't have had that suspense going into today. For me, suspense is that... It's not until the final moment, the final possibility to turn things over that it happens, and that's exactly what, what he did today, Hindley. Brian Nygaard, who's a massive fan of the nil-nil football match. Um, just before, before we conclude the part, as we're talking about journalists, I should issue an apology. I'm going to tip off to clarifications corner, we call it nowadays, being kind to ourselves. Um, yesterday, I introduced our... Um, our guided tour through the history of the Marmolada and I said that we'd be hearing from Luigi Gialanella. I know he's not called Luigi, his name is Luca um, and he is the head of cycling at La Gazzetta dello Sport. I apologised to him in person over WhatsApp last time. I'm going to apologise again personally. So, Luca, please accept my heartfelt apologies for getting your name wrong. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science and Sport. Science and Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science and Sport for supporting the Cycling Podcast. You can get 25% off at scienceinsport.com with the discount code SISCP25. Well, Brian, last night, well, we did a little video talking about how we had stumbled upon, or more like a party had stumbled upon us, uh, a graduation party at our our lodgings last night, a um, very boisterous group of 18-year-old boys who were off to the discotheque later on. Um, even our agriturismo was pretty much, well, it was thumping until about 11 o'clock at night before they did jump onto the bus and head off to the nightclub. We didn't join them, I should stress. But we heard there what might be the thumping disco track, disco anthem of the summer. Uh, Kern Bauman, a new Kern Bauman anthem. I can imagine that blaring out at Outdoors this summer, although he won't be riding the Tour de France. But Kern Bauman is definitely going to win the King of the Mountains competition at this Giro d'Italia. He's already won two stages, of course. And I spoke to him this morning, um, not well, not least, about whether he was aware of that musical tribute. Nobody to listen. Coon Bowman, the blue jersey Bowman in the blue jersey Bowman, the blue jersey Bowman in the blue jersey Bowman, the blue jersey Bowman in the blue jersey Bowman. Have you heard this song that's appeared online? They send it a lot to me, yeah. What do you make of it? Actually, I don't know the guy, but I guess he had a good good evening. Yesterday, another amazing performance, and we're all wondering, you know, this finishing speed, we've always known you're a good climber, but how come you've not been winning five races a season with these abilities? Because so few guys who can climb can finish as well as you have in this Giro. Yeah, actually, yeah, the team where I'm in is one of the best in the world, and we have so much GC uh, riders. So, yeah, normally my job is to help them. yeah, be there until the last climb, uh, put them in a good position into the bottom and then uh, ride up easy to the finish. So yeah, this year we have way more freedom and yeah, I take it, I take it with both hands and uh, yeah, now I show that I'm also quite fast. 
when you're opening your eyes in the morning when you wake up does it feel a little bit like a dream that you're experiencing at the moment yeah of course i mean uh yeah before the Giro, i never expected this and uh yeah i'm just so happy uh, i won two stages and normally tomorrow i get the blue jersey on in verona yeah it's just uh actually a dream since uh, day uh, day seven of the Giro until now and you've always been so humble. You've said, I'm not going to be in the Tour de France because I'm not good enough. Or there's, I think you said there's 1% chance of me being in the Tour de France team. That must change now, surely. Maybe not for this year, but looking further ahead. Yeah, I don't know. We still have like uh, world-class domestics in the team. Uh, guys with big engines like Rowan Dennis. So uh, I don't uh, see myself at the top eight of the team. Uh, of course, uh, one, one, yeah, one time I want to start the Tour de France. It's, it's something special in, in cycling. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it's coming, it's coming up the next years, but, uh, yeah, we will see in the team will decide. Well, Brian, we know we're going to Verona tomorrow, a city very close to your heart, I think. I think even the Torricelle climb and the sort of circuit the race will do tomorrow, the time trial, is, is something and somewhere that you have quite fond memories of and there's a connection with how you started off in professional cycling. Yes, definitely a very special place to me. And way back in 1999, my brother lent me money to buy a train ticket to go from Denmark, where I was studying, living, to Verona to watch the world. And I was sitting on a balcony, very Verona-esque, I suppose, uh, just uh, just down the finishing straight. And uh, I spent the whole week there. I fell in love even more than I was already with cycling and, and Verona, which is... I would say it's one of, yeah, for Northern Italy, it's by far my favorite town. Brian, this time trial tomorrow, who's going to win? Because there aren't too many time trial specialists left in the race. I've been speaking to people over the last few days. Jos van Emden told me yesterday he, it definitely won't be him or he didn't think it was going to be him. It doesn't suit him. He doesn't like descending on his time trial bike. Timon Aronsman has been focusing on this race or his team has wanted him to focus on, on this time trial tomorrow. Um, and I was under the impression that he would be basically resting for a couple of days leading up to this time trial. As we often see with TT specialists in the couple of stages preceding the time trial, they take it pretty easy. However, Aronsman today was in the break, and at one stage it looked as though he may well win the stage, which confused me. I didn't speak to him after the finish, but that did introduce a bit of a question mark over my quite confident prediction to a few people today that he was going to be one of the contenders tomorrow. Yeah, it's a hard one to pick. Uh, one thing is fatigue, which is always a big thing in the last time trial, but also because there, are, there is not a clear favourite and none of the GC guys is a clear favourite for the last time trial. Brian, the Italian national time trial champion is Matteo Sobrero, um, a fellow, well, you're, not, you're not really a winemaker, you're a bit of a faux winemaker, but you're a wine impresario, you're a wine baron, you're a wine magnet. And Matteo Sobrero, as mentioned many times on the podcast, he's from a, a family of winemakers up in Piedmont. As I said, Italian national time trial champion, good on hilly time trials. He's, he's a rider who a lot of people will fancy to win tomorrow. I spoke to him this morning at the start in Belluno. Well, Matteo, today's an important day for you, I guess, because you get, need to get ready for tomorrow. Um, is it a case of going as slowly as possible today? Uh, honestly, not really. Uh, this is my third uh, Giro, and uh, all uh, my Giro, they have finished with uh, TT. And for my experience, uh, also the day before, I tried to save uh, energy, yes, but uh, to drop uh, not not really soon, uh, just to to push a bit, to don't uh, to don't yeah to don't uh, to slow down too much. Can you, on a stage like today, sort of stay close to your threshold, under your threshold? Is that even possible in a Giro stage? Or are you going to go over the line at some point? You have to. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure you have to go over the line. Uh, uh, yeah, I hope to, to don't get the, the line soon today, but to, to pass through maybe, uh, yeah, Pordoi pass. Then, uh, then, then is my goal of today, but... It's, uh, it's hard to, to get there. I know early in the Giro, you, your legs weren't as you wanted them to be, but how are you feeling now? How's the form, how's the freshness, and how confident are you about tomorrow? No, uh, in the last week, finally, I, I find uh, some, some good feeling. Uh, 
compared to the first uh, two weeks. Uh, also, maybe for the heat, uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, we will see tomorrow. is uh, is always strange. Uh, after three weeks, uh, a lot of riders. Uh, it's difficult to say. And, and do you like the course with a climb and a descent and 17 kilometers? Yeah, yeah. Of course, it's, uh, it's a course that uh, suits me well. So, yeah, I I feel the pressure from uh, yeah from the Giro from uh, Italy and wearing the Italian jersey, champion jersey. So we see. And Matteo, I know that Aaron's man is is focusing very hard on tomorrow. He's sort of saving a lot of energy. Do you see anyone else around who you you think might be a big danger tomorrow? Uh, Tobias Foss, uh, Kamna. Uh, yeah, or uh, all that kind of uh, rider that he can climb, but he's also good on TT. So. Your teammate Lawson Craddock? Yeah, also, also him. Uh, yeah, unfortunately Simon is not here anymore. Otherwise, it would be a good uh, time trial for him. Okay, off I skulk to corrections corner again, clarifications corner, because Brian has reminded me that he does make his own wine. Um, do you want to? Would you like to regale us with any details about the wine, Brian? Is it available for purchase? Uh, my first white wine just uh, arrived in Denmark a few weeks ago. It just needs to sit a little bit. But as you know me, I will relentlessly promote that wine once it's become available, and of course, give you several amounts of. Especially if it doesn't sell, I'll give you as much as you want. Thank you very much, Brian. The bin ends. Um, on that note, I should also remind our listeners that our Celestiano Simpatica with Divine Sellers is still for sale, although the Giro is coming to an end. And you can find more details about that on the cyclingpodcast.com. Brian, there will be, I guess we've talked a lot about Prosecco and Prosecco corks being popped. There's a lot of wine drunk generally in Verona. As mentioned before on the podcast, Verona is the province of Italy that drinks the most wine. Um, I don't know if Roger or Holger, as it should really be pronounced, but I noticed he calls himself Roger Kluger. I don't know whether he'll be celebrating taking the black jersey the lan- what is the lantern rouge there used to actually be a black jersey but that was many decades ago he will celebrate that the race is over I he think was, that's much I think said. he will but Roger Kluger has a very convincing or a very emphatic advantage in that particular competition because as things stand with one state to go Kluger is a staggering staggering I say that only because well, only in the context of Grand Tours of the last 20 years. I know this because you know, last year I did interview him in the Tour de France when he was the the Lantern Rouge as well. And it had been a long time, I think about two decades, since a rider had gone over six hours um, behind the winner of the race. At the Giro this year, he's seven hours, 11 seconds behind Jai Hindley at the moment. Uh, he alluded this morning to some kind of record we will do a bit more digging about that and we will establish by tomorrow if we don't forget exactly what record this is. Um, however, I did speak to Roger Kluger this morning about being the Malianera of the Giro and well, whether it's something that he was particularly aiming for and, and why, in this day and age, are riders such as himself finishing so far from the winner of Grand Tours? But it was never my plan to be really less. It's just uh, the circumstances sometimes waiting for Caleb on, on stages and then we even on a sprint stage uh, we are behind we're losing like 10 minutes 5 minutes and over all that yeah, stages I do one one more day than, than the first rider or probably more than one day I'm coming home with 7 hours maybe <laughs> we've seen this well, the tour last year was 6 hours I think the, the time gap from first to last um, but what does the time gap this year so I think 6.30 roughly what is- 6 and a half already now yeah I mean, we know that it's partly because, you know, Caleb's not here and you don't have that pressure. But what does it tell us about the, the course this year and the route of this Giro? I think last year, maybe last year was kind of a, a record, like being behind. Uh, I know in the very past there, there was maybe days between first and second, but uh, like in a modern cycling. I think now maybe it's in the Giro, like a, a record. Like in 15, I think I was also six and a half hours behind already. But now with, we have another day today. I will probably lose half an hour 40 minutes a day up to 50 that's the max I hope I don't lose more because then I'm not in the result anymore 
but yeah, I probably go home with more than seven hours and uh, just chose that uh, it was one of the Giro's with the most uh, climbing meters. And uh, that's why I'm, I'm losing more time than other years, maybe. And, and your approach itself to surviving and when being slow is probably a good idea, as slow as you can on the mountain stages while getting inside the time limit. Have you got better at that as well? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm always quite uh, good and like uh, have a good feeling about what time or what, what speed is necessary to finish and uh, yeah you always say all oh, what I got learned from from my early years in a career save as much as you can and so if you have 10 minutes left or 15 minutes left why not go more slow you can stay in a gruppetto first they said always oh, yeah stay in a big group you never know what happened but if I have more if I can lose more time and if I can go easier and then it saves me some energy so I will I will always try to use as much as possible, but just go not too close to the limit, because then you, you panic in the end again. Brian, talking of time gaps, yesterday we discussed, did we not, the, some of the closest Grand Tours ever. Now, in light of what happened today, it no long, longer looks as though today we'll challenge, for example, the 1984 Vuelta a España, the closest Grand Tour ever, which was won by Eric Caritou, by six seconds. Um, however, it will be... A lot, a lot closer than Grand Tours were for many, many years. Now, we were just looking back over some, weren't we? And the 1919 Giro was won by Costante Girardengo by 51 minutes, Brian. Now, last year, Richard Moore and I, we went and we set, set off on the trail of Costante Girardengo, more specifically, a very famous moment in the career of Costante Girardengo. And this took us to the darkest depths of Abruzzo. And, well, that was, that was the inspiration and that is the subject of tonight's Giro del Buffalo. Il Giro del Buffalo. Remembering Rich and Moore. Well, Rich, second little detour. Um, 40 pista off-piste. We've gone this morning. The first one was about football. You'll be glad to, or the listeners will be glad to know we're back on topic. We're back on cycling. Where are we? Well, I'm just, I'm just relieved there isn't a stage today and that we're <laughs> able to go on this little uh, tourist, uh, these little detours. Um, but we're just down the hill in uh, Roca de Pio, is that? Uh, Roca Pia. Roca Pia. And we're in the middle of the Abruzzo, the mountains. We've got um, well snowy peaks all around us, or very green mountains all around us. And we're in a very important spot. X marks the spot, or did once, Rich, because someone did once get off their bike here. And I don't know whether he used his finger or, or something, or a twig or a stick, but Costante Girardengo, the first campionissimo, two-time Giro d'Italia winner. I think he won Milan San Remo six times. Famously, on this spot, um, in front of the Madonna delle Grazie, or is it the Maria delle Grazie church in Roccapia, yeah, got off his bike and he said, Girardengo stops here. And he drew a cross in the, in the dust on the road, and this has become a very famous moment. But you know what? As is always the case with these things, um, it's been the subject of controversy because originally, and I think I might have even writ- written this in a book, and people assumed or reported or said that this happened on another climb, the Macerone, which we went over earlier today. It's a more famous uh, location, but it was actually here in uh, Roccapia. And there's a monument that's going to be brought here. Sadly, it's not here yet. It's coming to mark the 100-year anniversary, isn't it? On the 2nd of June. The most amazing thing about that whole incident is that Girardengo had won the first four stages of that Giro, and this happened on stage five. I think it was Chieti to Napoli, the stage, and that was him. He did stop. He said, you know, Girardengo is not moving from here, and he was, he was true to his word because um, that was the end of his Giro. Well, to paraphrase uh, Girardengo... Girovagando continues now. Well, that's about it for tonight, Brian. That's enough excitement, I think, for one day. We'll resume tomorrow in Fair Verona, maybe under uh, Juliet's balcony. There might be some whimsical detours, whimsical, romantic, amorous detours even tomorrow. Not not too amorous. Wouldn't that just be like us? Yes, it would. It would. Um, Brian... It's been a cracking day, hasn't it? It's, I'm slowly, the oil tanker is slowly turning around to your 
view of this Giro d'Italia, although I'm not entirely convinced yet. But what a fantastic stage we've had. I wanted an image. I wanted a memory. I wanted to, something to take away an, a souvenir, of the, a visual souvenir of this Giro d'Italia. And the moment when Richard Carapaz started to let Jai Hindley's wheel slip around about Capanabil, which we talked about yesterday, that is an image that will remain projected upon my mind's eye for a very long time, I think. Yeah, me too. It was the, it's the moment of the race. Whether it was the, when the race was won or not, we'll, we'll see tomorrow. But it was one of those moments that we can take with us and say that it was a very exciting race. We certainly will, Brian. Now off to get some mountain food. <laughs> well, at least we've got some, we're some, polenta, some dirty polenta, Brian. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Byrne. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.